If you would, take your Bible and open to Matthew chapter 5. If you have a Bible in front of you, if you have access to the Bible on your phone and you want to open that up, I said Matthew chapter 5. We've actually made it through Matthew 5. We're in Matthew chapter 6 starting this morning. We are working through a part of the New Testament that is called the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're working piece by piece through the Sermon on the Mount to understand what does it look like to follow after Jesus, that we are not trying to earn our place as a follower of Jesus, but we've turned away from sin, we've turned away from our past, our old self, and we've looked to Jesus for salvation and hope. What do you do then? What does that kind of life look like? And so we're going through this process of looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And so you may have been able to catch a few of the sermons on Facebook Live or on, on the, our website, but this morning we've made it into chapter 6. When we get to the end of the service this morning, after I pray, we will stand up and we'll sing another psalm together, and during that final psalm, we pass around our offering plates, and if you have one of those guest cards or prayer cards to put in there, you'll be able to do that. But also, during that final psalm, if God is at work in your life in some way, and you say, you know what, I've been curious about Christianity, I've kind of lived on the edge for a while, but today is the day that I commit my life to Jesus. During that final song, you'll have an opportunity to do that. There'll be people here at the front to pray for you. We're going to talk about some hard topics this morning, some hard realities. If you need someone to pray with you, we want to be able to do that. We want to let you know that as we look at God's word this morning, we're praying that God's word would penetrate our hearts, would do a good work in our life. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1. These verses are on the screen if you don't have a copy in, in front of you. Here's what it says. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive, in verse 14, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And verse 16, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, 
for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. So how many of you are familiar with the term poser? You know what a poser is? Um, So I have a definition for poser on the screen. This is kind of taken over from slain uh, vocabulary. But a poser is a person who pretends to be someone they are not or a person who attempts to impress others by pretending to be someone that, that they're not. So we think about poser a lot of times in reference to maybe a sports fan Um, or poser is particularly common like in surfing culture or skating culture. You think about that term being used there. So this last week, I took my two youngest kids, and we went to the Matt Hoffman Skate Park uh, down by the river in uh, in Oklahoma City. So they had their skateboards and their bikes and their scooters, and we brought the cool level way down at the uh, Matt Hoffman Skate Park, but we had a lot of fun. We get there to the skate park, and there are these bowls that are built into, uh, into the skate park. And we get there, and we look down into the bowl, and there is a big snake in the bottom of the uh, skating bowl. And you all are very well versed in how I don't do snakes well um, at all. And so I told the kids, like, hey, let's just go uh, right over here to the edge. And there were these really cool skater guys that were there who were determined it was their job to get this snake um, out of the bottom of the bowl, and cool skater guys are really brave until they get really close to a snake, and then you figure out they're not as cool as they, uh, as they thought they were. Now, if I'd shown up, if I'd shown up there dressed like a skater guy trying to pose as a skater, those guys would have thought, man, this old dude, like, what is he doing here trying to, uh, trying to mess up our skate park? I've been posing, I've been trying to impress by being someone I'm not. Did you know there is a very dangerous form of posing, and it's the Christian poser. Someone who wants to look like they're a Christian in order to impress others, or so that others will notice them. Either just because they want to remain in good standing with the other person, or because they're trying to get some sort of personal gain for it. Unless you think I'm talking about you, the most dangerous, and I kid you not, one of the most dangerous forms of posing is the preacher poser. The one who would stand before someone looking to be like a follower of Jesus, saying, hey, you need to do this and this and this, but all they want in return is to be noticed or to be put on a platform. It's such a dangerous thing to get into. And so what we're going to find in these verses today is the danger of posing, the danger of looking like you're a Christian for the purpose of having others look at you as opposed to looking at God. How do we confront that? We're going to talk about topics like giving, praying, fasting. I'll tell you up front, giving, praying, and fasting would do well as their own sermons, and we'll get to those later in the book of Matthew. 
you're, kind of, you're going to be very frustrated by how little time I spend on the Lord's Prayer this morning because it's such a core part. But we're trying to get the big idea of verses 1 through 18, and then we'll deal with the topics later. Here's the other thing I would say before we get started with the verses. The other thing I would say is, if you are here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, or you're a little uncertain about the faith question, you might think, man, how did I come on the day that they talk about giving money and praying to a God I'm not certain about and fasting, not eating food at certain times? Hang on, because I think you're going to see that the big idea of these verses is something that's going to be very important to hear. Giving, praying, fasting, they matter, but they come under the main point of these verses. What is the main point? Chapter 6, verse 1. Chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus starts out this way. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. The way you understand what's happening in this chapter of the Bible and what's going on in these verses is either you have to write this out in your Bible or you're just going to have to mentally see it, Verse 1 is like a header. It's like a summary that prepares you for 2 through 18. So you, Jesus presents this phrase, this sentence in verse 1, and it's going to be kind of the umbrella, the header, over top of everything that's going to come after. So to understand 2 through 18, we have to make sure we have a really good grasp on what verse 1 is all about. And Jesus says beware. So there's a caution here. Here's the caution. The caution is against self-deception, that we would deceive ourselves of understanding what it really means to know and follow Jesus. It's one thing to deceive somebody else. It's another thing for us to be deceived about what it means to know and follow Jesus. Now, what Jesus is doing here is he's building on a couple of other verses, a couple of other statements that he has made earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. There are two verses that you need to have in your mind, or, or at least thinking about as we get to chapter 6. The first one is chapter 5, verse 16. So we're going we're gonna to pick out two verses that help us lead in to understanding chapter 6 and what's happening there. The first one is chapter 5, verse 16. Jesus there says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now in chapter 6, Jesus comes along and says, hey, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. So which is it, Jesus? Are we supposed to do things so other people can see, or not do things because we don't want other people to notice? The key is, what's your purpose for doing those things? Is your purpose to be noticed and to impress others and make them think you're someone that you're not, or is your purpose so that they will give glory to God? So if we do something that is good and helpful for someone else, if we give or we pray or we fast, and we do that so people will look to God, that's a great thing. That's what Jesus is calling us to do, to be a light. But if we do those things, hoping people will look at us, and we're trying to keep an outside appearance that doesn't match the inside, that's where we get into dangerous territory. Because then Jesus says in chapter 5, verse 20, he says this in chapter 5, verse 20. He says, I tell you, unless your righteousness 
exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so in the remainder of chapter 5, Jesus spent all this time explaining what this greater righteousness looks like, that it's not just simply a matter of outwardly following some religious rules, but it's about a heart change. It's about a life change. And so this greater righteousness means I'm not going to be a good, righteous church person so that people will look at me. I want to do these things so they'll look to the Lord, so that they will give glory to him. So with that in mind, go back to chapter 6, verse 1. So when you go back to chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. When he says this, practicing your righteousness, what he does, he picks out three of the most common examples of this in any religion, but especially the religion that the people would have known at that point, the Jewish religion. Giving of your money, praying, and fasting. Now this morning, if this helps you understand what's going on in these verses, I think because of where we live in Oklahoma in 2019, you could add on something like attending church or being a part of a church. What Jesus is getting at is he is picking out common examples of righteous living. This is what it looks like to be a religious person. This is what it looks like to be a righteous person. You pray, you give, you fast. We might say you attend church or you're a part of your church. He says, be careful about doing those things before other people in order to be seen by them. What's so bad about giving, praying, fasting, attending church? Nothing except all of those things you can do outwardly without ever being changed on the inside. You can give money, you can be involved in prayer, you can follow a religious rule, you can show up at church, you can do all of those things, and yet inwardly your life not be committed to the things of the Lord. It's either trying to impress someone else or it's trying to keep up a pose that you know is not true at the core. We can do them publicly, but it's not true of our lives privately. And what I would call you this morning to do is just reflect personally on your own life. And I've tried to do this throughout the week very carefully. When I do things like pray, give, go to church, do something that looks religious, am I doing that because I'm trying to keep up an appearance to impress others? Or am I doing those things because God has changed my life from the inside out? Here's what I would tell you about the danger of religious posing or religious righteousness. Number one, it gets exhausting. If you are trying to keep up an outside appearance that is not true at your core, you will get exhausted because you'll always wonder, have I done enough to impress them? Do I, they think I'm good enough? Or you'll start to wear down because you're like, it's hard to live in two worlds. It's hard to live a public appearance that says, look at me, I'm a good follower of Jesus, when privately, behind closed doors, in your heart, you know that's not true. And not only does it get exhausting, but it will kill your joy. 
There'll be no joy in participating in the things of the Lord because it's just done to keep up an appearance. It's not coming from a life that's been changed from the inside out. And so I'm doing it to keep up appearances. There's no joy in it. There's no delight in giving. There's no joy in prayer. There's no wonder when you show up for worship of how great is our God because I'm just here so other people will notice me and I can keep up this appearance of being a good person. It will kill your joy. You'll become cynical and judgmental toward others if they're not doing it the way you're doing it or they're not doing it the way that you think they should be doing it. And here's the kicker, and you don't need me to tell you this, but we need to be reminded. You can fool other people for a little while. Not those closest to you, usually, but you can feel fool people for a while we can't fool God so why would we attempt to keep up an outside appearance that makes other people think that we're okay when you're never going to be able to do that before God who sees into our heart who knows what's going on in our lives what I would point you toward and what I would urge you to hold on to today especially if you're uncertain about your relationship with God there is unbelievable freedom and joy and peace in knowing that the God of the universe sees into your life, knows what happens behind closed doors, knows what's going on in your heart, and yet he has mercy and forgiveness and grace and he calls you to himself. He doesn't push you away. He says, come and you will find new life and you will find hope and I will change your life from the inside out. That's where joy is found. That's where rest is. You can rest because you're not trying to keep up this appearance. You just can let down your guard and say, you know what? I struggle sometimes. But I'm not gonna try to keep up an appearance to make people think that I'm something I'm not. I'm gonna stand before the Lord and say, this is who I am. I know I'm a sinner, I know left on my own, I'm never going to get my life together, so I look to you. And he says, I see you. I know where you are. Come to me, and you will find salvation, and you will find hope, and you will find grace, and you will find peace. That's the calling that is set before there. And so the goal, the thing that Jesus is pointing to in all of these verses is this that shows up on the screen, that we will have generous, humble acts of righteousness. We're not saying get rid of all those things. We're saying you will do them humbly and you will do them generously from a life that's been transformed by Jesus. So my life has been changed and I live humbly, I live generously for the purpose that others will glorify God and all of that will result in eternal impact and eternal rewards. What's the goal? What's Jesus pointing at? Humble, generous acts of righteousness from a life that's been changed from the inside out so other people will know how good God is and the result of that is our lives will be changed for all of eternity. Now the question is, how do we get there? What does that look like in these verses? Okay, go back to verse two. Let's kind of track this through. In verse two of chapter six, this is what what we find. Jesus says, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. 
Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So they are doing something outwardly, publicly, just to get attention. There's indications from the ancient world that significant donations were publicly announced in the synagogues. Like they would take a break and they would say, I would like to recognize Mr. So-and-so over here who gave this much money to the synagogue this year. Or what they would do, and there's even ancient inscriptions that have been found all over uh, the world about this, is your name would be inscribed on a pillar or on a stone if you gave a particular amount of money. You don't have to go far to think about that reality in, in our own world. Now, hang tight. Am I telling you that you're a terrible, awful, horrible, bad person if your name is on a brick or a stone on a building somewhere? No, that's not what I'm saying. The question is, do I want my name there so other people will think I'm a good person and they'll think I'm something other than what I am internally? Yeah, that's really dangerous. What's the purpose behind this? The danger is that I would give so that everybody would say, hey, look at that person. They're really amazing as opposed to I'm giving because God is generous and I want to share that with others. So when you get to verse 3, here's what Jesus says. Verse 3, he says, When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you couple of things to point out uh, here. One of the things that makes giving, praying, and fasting so hard is they don't seem productive from a worldly standpoint. In other words, if you give your money away, if you take time out of your day to pray, and you skip a meal, or you give up some sort of personal consumption, if you do that, what have you really gained for it? Honestly, you haven't gained anything in a temporary sense. You've given away. God said, I will take care of the reward. What does it mean when it says there that you don't want your left hand to know what your right hand is doing? Most likely what is happening is this. If I give with my right hand, why would I hold out my left hand? Because I'm expecting something in return. So if my left hand doesn't know what my right hand is doing... It's not like I'm always waiting for something in return. Like, hey, I gave you this. Look, 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 look. I need something back for that. Jesus is saying, man, that's a dangerous way to live. I'll give if you'll give me something back. We give because of how good God has given, been in giving to us. And there's this key phrase in there. It's the phrase in secret or that it's done secretly. Now, does this mean that every gift that you give has to be anonymous? No, I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at. What he's getting at is your purpose in giving is not that you would be recognized, but it would be done in secret, in a way that is focused toward making people look to God, not to yourself. Can I tell you something? All throughout these verses, you're going to find the phrase secret. What you find in these verses is that when you live simply, and when you live secretly, there's incredible freedom in that. We use a phrase on our staff that I want to make sure you have in front of you. When we talk about living in a simple, secret way, we say that we have nothing to prove, no one to impress, 
just Jesus to serve. If you guys have the slide that has that quote on there, I want to make sure it's in, in front of everybody. We say we have nothing to prove, no one to impress, just Jesus to serve. What does it look like in your life when you give, you pray, you go to church, you do what God has called you to do, and you do it in such a way that I'm not trying to prove anything to somebody around me, I'm not trying to impress people, I'm doing it because all I want to do is serve Jesus because of how good he has been to me and what he's done in my life. There's so much freedom there. You're not looking around trying to compare yourself to others. You're not wondering, have I done enough? You're not saying, I would give money if I had more to give. The question's not how much I have to give, it's what has God done in my life? I would encourage you in whatever field you work in, Teenagers, you guys live in this world so, so often, or if you're in college, how do you get to a point where you say, you know what, I don't have to prove anything to people. I don't have to spend my life impressing people. The purpose of my life is to know and follow and love and serve Jesus. And when I do that, I can live simply. I can live in secret. I can do it because everything is about pointing people to him. Let me ask you a harder question. In fact, this is for all of us. When you think about that quote, when you think about what it looks like to do these things in secret, think about what that says for a church. As a church, as a Maus, can we say that we have nothing to prove, we have no one to impress, the only reason we exist is to serve Jesus? You guys know how hard that is to do in the contemporary world of church? How hard that is to do in a world of social media? That our main goal as a church is not to prove to people how great we are. It's not to impress other churches or other people. Hey, look at them. They're doing all these incredible things. Our only goal as a church is to serve Jesus and to do what he's called us to do. And that sounds so good and so great to say when you're standing here on Sunday morning. That is really hard to live out in the world that we live in. I would encourage you, let's be a church. Let's be a people where you say we have nothing to prove, no one to impress. We just want to serve Jesus. Now the question is, how do we know if that's really happening? How do we know if that really shows up in our lives? Ah, we have the answer in the next verses. Chapter 5, I mean chapter 6, verse 5. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So verse 6, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Again, public outward example of religion. Hey, look at us. We're going to church. We're praying. We're the greatest spiritual people ever. Jesus is saying, that's ridiculous. That's not what it looks like to know and worship me. Go into your room. Close your door. Pray to your Father who is unseen. Um, you know, this will be our second time and last time to pick on social media this morning, I promise, because there's so much good in social media as well. But you know the danger of like the family 
picture, everybody's dressed up to go to church, like, hey, look at us, we're going to church. And just before that picture, everybody's yelling at each other, stand still, look happy, you know? Man, like we're trying to keep up this outward appearance. Look at our family on Instagram and, and Facebook and social media. We've got it all together. And you know that in private, that's just not true. That's kind of the danger that Jesus is getting at here. Look at us. We're part of a church. We're religious. When you know inside, that's just not true. And parents, grandparents, kids, they sniff this out really quickly. If we're one way in private behind closed doors and we're another way in public, ah, kids aren't going to go for that. They're going to understand, wait, this it's like we act one way when we go over here, but we act another way when we're over here. They need to see those come together. That phrase, real quickly, in, in verse 6, about going into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who's in secret, does that mean we should never pray corporately? We should never, you know, did, did Brittany, we purposely made her disobey the word this morning because she was up here praying? No, that's not what it's getting at. Uh, at, at all. Here's the way I would explain this, and I hope this helps you when you attend church on Sunday morning. Here's what this verse is going at. It's the idea that if and when I do something publicly or corporately, it's an overflow of what is already true in my life privately. So if I gather to pray with people publicly, or I'm going to pray in front of people, I don't want that to be the first time I've prayed all week. It's an overflow of what God's done in my life. Here's where this is helpful for you when you come here on Sunday morning. When we sing psalms together, or we study scripture together, or we do these things in a public way, it's not bad that we've gathered publicly. It would be bad if you're trying to do something on Sunday morning that's not also true of your life during the week. So when we gather for worship on Sunday morning, in a perfect sense, this is an overflow of what God has already been doing in your life during the week. I sing because I've been worshiping the Lord during the week. I want to study scripture with other people because I've been trying to read my Bible during the week. Now, it doesn't always work like that. Sometimes we have junky weeks and the train goes off the tracks and Sunday morning is a gift to get us refocused. More often than not, though, we want Sunday morning public worship to be an overflow of private worship and private prayer and private study during the week. That's what we're getting at. Okay, verse 7. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Christian prayer is not magic. And without being disrespectful to anyone, hear me out on this. Be very careful of an approach to prayer that says if I say these words over and over and over a certain number of times, that something will happen. Prayer is not the magical repetition of words over and over and over again thinking I can cause God to do something in my life. Prayer is a heart set before God in humility, saying, God, I'm crying out to you because I need you to do in my life what I could never do for myself. If you're concerned about praying because you don't think you have the right words to use, you're in exactly the right place to start praying. If you think, man, I should pray more because I sound amazing when I pray, that would be a good heart check. Um, that would be a good heart check. So we want to we be people who feel comfortable praying out loud, but not because, hey, listen to me. We pray because, God, we need you. 
It may have been a long, long, long time since you felt like you could pray to the Lord. There's no magic words we give you. It's not about how many words you say. It's about, God, I trust you. And I need you to be at work in my life. I need you to work in my family. And so the best way I know how, I'm going to call out to you in prayer. What's one example of what that looks like? Well, Jesus says in verse 8, Don't be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So, pray like this. Here's a model for what prayer can look like. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Simple statements of worship. So I, I haven't prayed in a long time. I have no clue what to do. What do I do? I start out, God, you're God, I'm not. I do not know what to do with this situation. I feel completely overwhelmed with life. I need you to take control. I trust you. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Simple, short statements asking for physical and spiritual protection in your life. God, you're God, I'm not. I have no idea how I'm gonna get through this situation. I need you to protect me, I need you to guide me, and I need you to do something in my life that only you can do. That's the type of model prayer that Jesus is teaching his disciples. God, give to us what we need, forgive us when we fail, and that's where verse 14 comes into play. Verse 14 says, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Those verses can be confusing if we don't realize the big picture that they show up in. What's this whole section been about? It's been about posing. It's been about, I look one way outwardly, but I'm something else behind closed doors. God, forgive me, and then I'm not able to forgive others. You see the struggle there. If we really understand what it means to be forgiven, we're going to turn around and give that forgiveness to those people around us. All right, let's finish with the last section here. Verse 16. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting might, may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. The language here is a little bit strange uh, in the original language that it comes to us, but it's almost the idea of putting on a mask or, or making your, your, uh, your appearance look different than it actually is so that people will look at you. And it, it doesn't match what's happening on the inside. So what does Jesus say? Verse 17, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. What does it mean, anoint your head and wash your face? These were simple, everyday statements. So the contrast between verse 16 and verse 17 is verse 16, you look unnatural. People look at you and are like, that's odd. That's not normally how they appear. Verse 17 is you're just going through your regular daily routine while you're fasting. 
I think for verse 16 about not looking gloomy or disfiguring our faces, this is an important note for us as believers. If we're not careful, the more serious and sad we look, the more spiritual we think we are. Um, wow, look at me. I look very gloomy, and uh, I've disfigured my face. Is that authentic or are you just trying to look like that because you think you look more spiritual when you look like that? As opposed to, did you wash your face? And kids, did you wash your hair last night before you came to church? Was it just a normal day? Like, are you, are you appearing saying, Lord, I give myself to you. I'm fasting. I'm serious about this. But I'm not trying to impress other people in the process. Let's jump to this idea. I have a slide about the dangers of this false righteousness, this dangers of posing. What are the dangers? Is that when we give, we would give our dollar, or we would move the decimal on our, pay, our paycheck to give to the church, or we would say our prayers or go to church, or we would avoid meat during Lent if you grew up in, in that type of tradition. We would do those things, but they were primarily because we were trying to keep up an image. They were not because Jesus had saved us and transformed our life. What is Jesus calling us to do this morning? Here's the ways you can respond this morning to these verses that we find in the Sermon on the Mount. Number one, you guys bring up that response slide, thanks. Number one, resist with everything you have the temptation to fake or to pose a Christian exterior when you know that's not true privately. It's not true in your life. I would beg you this morning to look at your heart. I want this to be a safe place where you're able to say, Owen, if I was completely serious with you, I've been putting on a show because I didn't want to let down my family or because I knew it was good to look like a Christian, but I have no clue what it is to experience God's grace or his freedom or his forgiveness, and I need that because I cannot keep up this exterior. I need to give my life to Jesus. I would urge you to do that, and today is the time that you do that. Today is the chance to say, I can't keep this together anymore. Like, I, I cannot keep up this image. I've got to give my life to Jesus that we would trust in him for salvation, and then we would ask God to transform our life. Let us be a people who give. Let us be a people who pray. Let us be a people who fast. Let us be a people who go to church, but we do it because of how good God is, not because we're trying to look good to others. And apparently number one is repeated because my list fell apart. Um, that we would live humbly, secretly, and generously before others. Here in just a minute, I'm going to pray for us. And after I pray for us, we're going to stand up and we're going to sing a song about building our lives around Jesus Christ. I would love nothing more than to be able to pray for you during that song. We're going to take up our offering. Don't throw your money in the plate to show off to others. Put it in there humbly, simply, that you're giving your life to the Lord, you're trusting Him. If you have one of those guest cards, you can put that in there. Let's pray together and then we're going to sing a final song and respond to God's work in our life. Father, thank you so much for, for the Sermon on the Mount. These are challenging verses. Every week seems to just get harder than the week before. But they're also verses that bring a lot of freedom to our life. God, we admit that we live in a part of the world where it is so easy 
it's even encouraged to pose spiritually. God, we live in a part of the world, we live in an, an age where we feel some sort of pressure to put on a spiritual face or a religious exterior, but if we're honest, we're just trying to impress somebody else, we're trying to keep up an image. God, we are desperate to be a church, we are desperate to be a people where we can live authentically, where we live from the inside out, where you transform our lives, and all we want to do is to know and follow and serve Jesus. God, that our lives would be built on him. Father, I pray that you would bring freedom to someone's life today as they trust in you. God, that you would bring freedom to our church. It's not how cool we are or how impressive we are compared to other churches in the area. All we want to do is link arms with them so people will know how good Jesus is. God, do that work in our lives as we've seen, as we respond right now. In Jesus' name, amen.